Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Half a Nice Day podcast with your host, Joshua. And Janine. And we have a special guest with us here today in the studio. She too has quite the mixture of nationality, everyone. We have the human version of a chat GPT here. <laughs> She's a writer, editor, and the winner of the 2023 Emirates Literature Festival. So you know she's going to be judging our vocabulary today. Yes, she will. <laughs> Only quietly in my head. Yes. <laughs> you know you can edit this podcast if you want after and just make a sound. Just put a voiceover. It's funny, the ChatGPT comment, I used to introduce myself or tell people what I do for a living by saying that I'm a human grammarly. So oh, now yeah. there's an there you go. Yes. The no, you're the human GPT. version of, you know that clipboard in Microsoft? Yes. Yeah, Clippy. Yeah, Clippy, yes. Clippy, yes. <laughs> Uh, she's also a meditation and boxing coach, so she knows how to f- make you find your inner peace and at the same time develop your outer strength. Mm-hmm. Let's give a warm half a nice day welcome to Iwa, everybody. Whoop, whoop. Did I say it correctly? Yes. yes. Yay. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's Thank so good to have you. Thank you for so being we, here. So I know you asked me this already, but I just want to tell everyone, like she was asking us how we got to find her or how we stumbled across her. Yeah and uh janine actually because i have a list in one of my books where i like write down potential guests and your name was there and i remember the janine showing me your your profile i don't know if at the time it was private or not did you recently make it, it was private? only recently yeah okay yeah, yeah so that's so why i saw it i don't know one of our friends or probably one of our guests can't remember if it was i don't know fahad or someone connected to boxing okay do you know Fahad by any chance? Fahad sure. al-Balushi. He's one of, uh, he's half Emirati, half Filipino. He does professional boxing. Um, he fights professionally. So I don't know if I found you through him or one of our friends. And then I sent it to Josh and the rest is history. Yeah. Have you here? Because we always look at Instagram <laughs> profiles and we see what's in their bio. So we yeah. saw like like four flags or oh, yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know A what potential I saw? To be the, the gloves with the Lebanese flag. <laughs> And I'm like, she's Lebanese. And then I sent it to you. Yes. And you're like, okay. So, so tell us where you're from because your bio has plus and then multiplied and then division. Yeah, so you can yeah. explain to us a little bit. It's a little complicated. Um, I don't know. For a long time, I used to describe myself as a mongrel. But I think hybrid sounds a lot nicer now. <laughs> True. Um, so my mom is from Taiwan. That one's the easy part. Mm-hmm. I was born in the U.S. and I grew up here in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like for most of my life. And then I went back to the U.S. when I was 16 came back in my 20s. But my dad, um, officially speaking, it's mostly Lebanese, but it's complicated because he was born in what was Palestine at the time. Mm, okay. Um, and yeah, I think there's, I mean, sort of like mysterious family history, you know, but um, I think there's some Iraqi blood in there, some other, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, a mixture of Arabs, shall nice. we just say. Yeah. But like by passport officially, it was Lebanese. Lebanese. Okay, so you have a Lebanese passport as well. I don't know. No, okay. I am. Um, I think my dad at one point had a Jordanian passport as well. So I'm not like I'm not entirely clear <laughs> yeah. on the history of it. And my parents had quite a large age gap, a 20 year age difference. And my dad passed away when I was 23. So in Arab culture, as I'm sure you guys know, it's kind of more common, especially for women to only really get to know their parents as friends when we get a little older. Yes. And mm. unfortunately, we had lost my dad by the time I came to that point of my life. So never got to ask him all the juicy questions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, beyond that, honestly, it's just, um, yeah, a, a mixture of Arabs, I shall say. That's, that's true. Cool. And I, I think in the Levant region, that's very common because coming from a Lebanese background as well, my dad is also half Lebanese, half Syrian. So his mom's from Syria, his dad's from Lebanese, but who knows, like we might have other families maybe in Jordan or Palestine because yeah. it I think a lot really of people, was a whole just 
Yeah, a lot of people oh, from country. Lebanon yeah. seem to have that similar, like we're Lebanese, but we don't know what else is in there. Yes. Um, it's kind of part of the nice thing, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, by passport, it's an American passport because I was born in New Jersey. Although oh, okay. to me, home in the States is more Boston. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. I was just going to say you don't have that New Jersey yeah. accent. <laughs> it's because you s- you only stayed there until two. You came back. Then yeah. you went back mm-hmm. at 16. So you grew up in Dubai, but you were born in the U.S. Yeah. Actually, it was Sharjah at first. Um, oh, you're, so like our, you're like our 10th guest <laughs> yeah. who was like raised in Sharjah. Really? Actually, yeah. It was the place back in the day. It was actually on the borderline. So where the like they've changed it completely now. But where the Corniche was on the borderline. So there was one roundabout on the right side of our house where if you drove over that, you were in Ajman. Oh, that is where it was. Up. So it was far like the, Sharjah. The end of Sharjah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, not even okay. closer to Dubai. Yeah. Nice. So you studied in Sharjah as well? Um, so I lived there until I was, um, I don't even remember what age, to be honest, but it was when I was in year nine of school that I started going to school um, in Dubai. Before okay. that, I was in the International School of Shoifat in Sharjah. Yes. Okay. And then I moved over to Dubai College from year nine onwards. Okay. That's so close to my school. Shoifat was like on the other side of the street. My school's Far Eastern Private School. It's okay. a Filipino school. So we're on the other side. And then we would just look over the street and we'd be like, that's where all the rich kids go. <laughs> yeah. The short fat. That's where all the Lebanese kids <laughs> go. The Lebanese that's kids. Where yeah. all the kids who that's take true. tons of exams go. Yeah. It's like nonstop exams. <laughs> that's true. You know what I hate? Exams. <laughs> who, who likes exams, first of all? So yeah. that's the thing. That never helped us. Yeah. Maybe it did with yeah. the pressure, but not so much. So how was um, growing up in Sharjah and then going to Dubai and then going back to the U.S.? Like, how was that transition and being in your teens? Um, how in what sense? <laughs> how was it like being here at, w- was it what, early 2000s? Like when a, you more moved? of a culture like, shock, I guess. Yeah. Because like, is like you... quite conservative, at least till this date as yeah. well. Well, you guys flatter me. Apparently you think I'm younger than I am because <laughs> it was the 90s, not the 2000s. <laughs> okay. Um, so how was it moving in the 90s? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm turning 38 yeah. this year. So okay. yeah, when I was growing up in Sharjah, it was the 90s. And okay. the 90s, Sharjah was glorious. I don't know. I loved it. It was an awesome place to be. I kind of sometimes describe it to sort of more new to the UAE people as what Kema feels like nowadays. Mm. It mm-hmm. has that same vibe for me where right. it's not a small town. It has a little bit of that energy, but it's, you know, it's got the best of both worlds in that sense, you know? Right. Um, but then, yeah, it started to get a lot stricter by the time we had moved to Dubai or like about a year okay. before Oh, so that. it wasn't it, yeah, that it started, strict. Okay. Yeah, at the end of my high school years okay. or like sort of the latter half of middle school. I don't right. remember the year exactly, yeah. but it was definitely when I was a little older. So yeah. Yeah, it was and quite we, different we, when I was growing up. We spoke about this in a little bit on our, on, on our earlier podcast, but Sharjah was really the place to be back in those days like i remember like going there as a child as well just enjoying it with my parents like we if we wanted to go for dinner we would find somewhere in charge to go so i think things have changed a little bit especially with the traffic it's unbearable so i don't think like a lot of people wouldn't choose to go to Sharjah. i still have a lot of friends who live in Sharjah now and that they commute all the way to dubai you know for work which admittedly i always hear like it's a crazy long drive yes um so i don't know what it's like to live there now obviously but back then i just i do know that when we were growing up there was such a great sense of community and i loved that about it yeah yeah um, but nowadays like Sharjah still has a lot of amazing things I mean like I said I don't live there so I don't know the nooks and crannies of like living in a certain neighborhood but yeah. there's so much amazing art offering in the yes. city at the moment you know yes. and they've got that incredible um library as well yes the house of wisdom so yes. yeah a lot and they had an art fair I think like two or three years ago if I'm not mistaken they, they always have something that is 
sort of connected to the whole like cultural because I feel like yeah. Dubai is always more so like new and modern but then if you really want to have that like soak in the traditional style traditional of things, yeah. cultural um, experience like I think Sharjah is one of the places yeah. to go yeah yeah with all that they have the museums as well they have one of the biggest um, the biggest and best universities university. there yeah yeah that whole that whole strip yeah of, like, near the if I'm cool. not mistaken it's near the Sharjah airport think so yeah yeah i haven't been in charge of airport for a while yeah. i travel budget so <laughs> i'm always there <laughs> so 16 you moved to new jersey um, or boston so i went to high school well, we moved to dubai because my mom got really tired of doing the school run or yeah. with the school bus it was such a long drive and the traffic started getting worse and worse yeah um and i don't know if you guys remember but back then global village was not where it is now yes. and so the traffic i mean it's great that it was so popular but the traffic because of the location where it was it made those drives back to Sharjah yes. just wild and yes. i remember in those days we always used to joke that like Garhud Bridge, it's it's immense because you've got all these lanes and every single one of them is still full. <laughs> um, so we eventually had to move to Dubai. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I actually finished high school when I was 16. So that's when I moved back to the States because mm-hmm. I got into college already. Okay. Yeah. And were you alone or did your mom like go with you to the States or? Um, I mean, my parents came to drop me off and like help me, you know, sort of buy my bed sheets and stuff yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, like yeah get yeah. settled into your do- dorm room and everything but no it was alone i was super excited nice um, i think well i'm the youngest of four children so okay it was You're that time of one. my life yeah it was yeah. like finally my independence yes <laughs> i get to be me not someone's sister <laughs> um you know and so that was really exciting for me yeah that's true i think being either the middle child or the youngest child it's always oh yeah so-and-so's sister or so-and-so's brother yeah and you're like yeah i have a name yeah <laughs> my name is <laughs> but but like growing up in so so from there you moved to the u.s did you were you experienced like like this is so different from dubai like did you think like okay like because they're like especially like a college life you get you see the fraternity systems and yeah. the sororities and then the um, college partying yeah I, I don't know it's sort of a weird one for me to answer because i've I know this sounds like it makes me sound like such a knob, but um, I, it just sounds sort of like a bad cliche of like, I'm not like the others. And I really don't mean it uh-huh. that way at all. But I've sort of never been. Did you guys ever watch that show, The Inbetweeners? Oh, yes. OK, so not that version of it, but I guess I was an in-betweener in that sense where I always like being part of different social groups, but okay. I kind of very much always have been someone who likes to do my own thing. Okay. Um, okay. So with that in mind, I never was appealed by the idea of like joining a sorority or anything like that. It just, it just wasn't my vibe. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. always wanted to just sort of just find my own way, man, dipping into all the different social circles and yeah. things like that. Um, and the university that I chose has an amazing, huge international population. Um, of the student body. So I thought that was another huge part of the appeal for me. Mm. It got okay. to meet people from everywhere. Um, nice. So yeah, it was it was very international and I loved that about it. W- would you have, you know, a lot of people asking you like, where are you from? Where are you from? And yeah. then you have to explain your whole family history. Yeah. Like you well, got five minutes. <laughs> well, it was funny because back then, I mean, even when you said, you know, I grew up in Dubai or the UAE, you could always have to say Dubai because people didn't know the UAE exactly. at the time. Yes. Um, my sister who had gone to uni in the States a couple of years uh, before me, as well, a different uni. And people used to always tell her like, oh, Hawaii, that's so cool. And she's like, no, I didn't say Hawaii. I said Dubai. Um, and I got a couple of times, oh, what was it like growing up in India? I'm like, well, I wouldn't know because it's a different country. Um, or sometimes I'd say, you know, my mom is Taiwanese and they'd be like, oh, that's amazing. I love Bangkok. I'm like, me too. It's a different country though. So at, it was a little different at the time. And then I just remember there was this 
sudden shift where suddenly in the media, Dubai became cool. And in mm. many ways, I feel like the Burj Al Arab is one of the things we oh, have yes, to thank yes, for that yes, because suddenly everyone's like, wait, that's the country with like the seven star hotel. Yes, yes, and yes. it was featured on Gossip Girl. And suddenly people knew what I was talking about when I said where I had grown up. So that's okay, true. Okay. Yeah. Is it the hotel shift. with the gold interior? You're like, yep. Yeah. Is it the one with the highest uh, or the tallest, tallest building. building? Yes, I it remember, is. Um, do you guys remember ICQ? No. There's like, or maybe it's like sort of just a little bit is before it a chat? your generation. Yeah, it yeah. was this chat thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the internet was still kind of new. And I remember I was in sixth or seventh grade. And of course, nowadays, we would never tell, like we would tell kids, be careful and don't chat to random strangers on the internet. We used but to, back actually. Then, yeah, we didn't know. Um, and I just remember you'd be speaking to these random people on ICQ. And I remember someone, I think they were from Australia, and it blows my mind now because the world has become so globalized that you wouldn't dream of most people thinking this. But uh-huh. back then, someone said, do you guys have electricity? And I'm like, I'm talking to you on the Internet. Like, do you think that my parents are outside rubbing rocks together to get a spark? Um, yes, we have the Internet. And to think of how it went from that was the perception of where is this mysterious place you come from to yeah. just within less than a decade later, suddenly it was, oh, are you from that place where like, does everyone drive Lamborghinis and yes. everyone lives in gold plated yes, houses? Yes. And I'm like, like, yes. wow, what a dramatic shift, right? So, so true, yeah. so but true. Because, like, even um, I remember, like, back in the day when I used to go back to Philippines as a child, and I would say Dubai, it was like, oh, so they thought immediately they thought Saudi Arabia because yeah, every like Filipino worker who leaves Philippines would go straight to Saudi Arabia. So, when people started saying Dubai and like in the middle of nowhere, and then suddenly, like, overnight, basically, people started knowing about where UAE was, it really changed everything, yeah. It's, it's funny to me you say that because I can't remember if it was five or six years ago. I met uh, someone, not even a friend, uh, at a wedding, at a friend's wedding. And I was saying, I'm from Dubai. And he looks me straight in the eye and he asked me, so do you guys have camels? Like, do you go around with camels? And I thought he was joking, but he was genuinely like asking that question. I'm like, hmm, I wonder like, what does he think about Dubai now? As you said, because everyone knows what Dubai is already. Yeah. Everyone knows it's the place to be and everyone wants to come to Dubai. Yeah, and it's, it's, like the it's place. really amazing yeah. when you think about it. And I think it's like sort of twofold. One of it is, you know, sort of the growth of the internet. Nowadays, we know about like small countries that would have been as foreign to us, you know, yeah. that we maybe True. never experienced or had a peek into the culture of. You can see that because of like the globalization of the world and the internet and everything, but also because the UAE has really done an incredible job of like putting this country on the map. That's true. Um, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, even, I mean, I know this will come up later because I I know we're going to talk about it, but even things like the literature festival, I mean, I I might get a little emo when we talk about that (laughs) later, but it's a big deal for someone like a kid who grew up here. Mm -hmm. And I used to grow up looking through magazines that, you know, special order that you'd get from the States. And, you you know, I remember like we would fill out those physical cards that you'd write on a little note and beg my parents for the pocket money where I would post it and try to get certain products like lip smackers from the Uh States, you know, Uh because they didn't have them here. To now, everything you want is at your fingertips here. And back then we were just this, question mark that so many people didn't know about and now it's the kind of place where there's a certain legitimacy to the kind of accolades that you can receive here Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so to me it was this little kid growing up here the idea of wanting to become a magazine editor or an author or so many of the things I've done in my adult life they felt amazing like 
I wanted to dream about them, but they yeah. felt like somebody else's dreams. And it was this idea that oh. I would love to do something like that, but my version of it, because someone like me, who looks like me, who grew up here, would probably never be able to achieve that. And now, when you achieve something like that, the recognition that you get here is something that people elsewhere would also maybe vie for. So yeah. it's, it's really amazing, That's and true. I treasure it deeply. Yeah. yeah, because growing up here, you wouldn't think of writing as a job like you would think okay the usual job is either an engineer, engineer doctor or a doctor an yeah. architect you know an it someone who works at the office those are the typical jobs that yeah you know our parents would talk about or the friends of our parents would talk about and doing something that is art driven yeah. is not really something that we would for sure and it was the like, same for me i think a lot of it is culture like my parents always had a huge appreciation for culture and the arts but it was something that you would appreciate as opposed right. to maybe consider a full-blown yes, career yes, in. Yes. So I, again, never dreamed it was possible. They didn't mean any harm. It is just a huge part of both like East Asian and Arab culture. Yes. You know, that whole cliche. Yeah, of, like, yeah, and yeah. I know it like all my Indian friends say it's the same thing in India, yeah. same in Pakistan. And um, I actually read this really interesting thing online the other day where someone described it as it's not just from those cultures or those countries. It's also typically children of immigrants when you think of it yes, from the U.S. Yes, perspective. True. Right. Um, yeah. And it makes sense because if you think about from that perspective, I had never really seen it that way because, you know, you don't really think of expats in the same like lifestyle. I know it sounds strange because it's the idea of someone leaving and settling somewhere else, but the idea of an expat is often glamorized. Yes. Immigrant is not something that's typically glamorized. Mm -hmm, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and the way they described it was if your parents sacrificed everything to come to this country to build a better life for you, their goal would be for you to become as educated as possible, to get the best job that you could and yes. make enough money so that you never have to struggle like they did when they sacrificed everything for you. That's yeah. true. So it makes sense that they would want to push for those, you yeah. know, as opposed to the more, I guess, high risk things like jobs in the arts. Yes. Um, it is high yeah. risk. I mean, not anymore now because we see these amazing artists being recognized. But back in the days, our parents would never thought someone who would either write or, I don't know, become a full-time YouTuber or a content creator would actually earn as much as or even more yeah. as a doctor or an architect yeah. or an engineer. Like we were so. just talking about that, that Ryan Kid reviews on YouTube. Yes. He's like... A kid who's maybe a is he a billionaire or a multi-millionaire? Millionaire, yeah, yeah. I think millionaire. And especially yeah. when they're when they're considered an expat or an immigrant, they left their country in in pursuit of you know like the American dream. Yeah, as an example, and then they they see their or a kid better life. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. they they work hard. They like take very odd jobs. Then they see their kids sitting in front of a camera and just talking about something. Of course, it'll it might like piss them off to some extent but they really don't know like there's multitudes and multitudes of ways of making money nowadays yeah. yeah and there's something almost bittersweet about that because i think on the one hand it's incredible that all these new opportunities have opened up i like the fact that we don't live in a world where you have to be boxed in by these like sort of standard paths mm -hmm. and i love that it's yeah. also the fact that a lot of these careers or vocations they were not as open the world has changed they weren't mm. as open to people who are outside of a certain subset before right and so the world is now growing there's more opportunities from people of different backgrounds everywhere and all of that's wonderful yeah. but the other sort of bittersweet aspect is that i think at least it took me until i had reached adulthood to finally understand this about my parents you know we all have that moment where you're a teenager and you're just like i hate my parents they don't understand yeah, me yeah, yeah. Slam the door. Yes. but when you grow up 
you realize just how much you relate to the things that your parents had taught you when you were growing up and what they went through because you find yourself either in their shoes or in completely different shoes and imagining how they would have felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I mean in this particular instance is that, for example, with my mom, I used to get so frustrated at her or with her when I was younger because she wouldn't understand me. And now that I'm older, I have so much more respect for her because it can't be easy to choose to raise your children with a huge element of culture that is so different to your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like a sacrifice. It's yes. quite selfless because yeah. if they chose to raise you in the exact same culture they did, it's easier for them to relate to you. Yeah. And by introducing yes. to you a whole new world, they run the risk of not being able to relate to their kid as much as they would have otherwise, but they do it for you. Yeah. Um, and it's something, you know, like it's human nature for us to be afraid of that which we don't know. Yes. Um, and so I know that it's quite intimidating for like, or at some point she had admitted this to me once where it's quite intimidating intimidating to her sometimes when she sees me or my siblings off doing things that she doesn't necessarily like I don't want to say understand she gets it but you know that it wasn't part of her world yes but she's still so proud it just takes them a little time to reconcile because it's so different yeah so true but but that's so. so good of your mom to even if she was scared to set that feeling aside and be like yeah, okay it's sure. a new generation I have to let my kids yeah do what they believe in and that's amazing yeah. because again not everyone from their generation would think that way. Yeah. And I think now our generation are the ones who are starting to change that narrative and be like, okay, we can't do that sure. anymore because you can't implement that with Gen Zs anymore. <laughs> Imagine telling yeah, Gen that's... Zs you can't do that. It's totally different, but like good on your mom for doing yeah. that. I mean, and... it took us a while to get there, yeah. admittedly. When I told them I want, I mean, when I was at uni, I studied literature and economics. Mm-hmm. That was the deal. I told them I wanted to go to art school at first and they looked at me and like sort of laughed and they said, you can if you want to, but then you're going to pay for college yourself. Oh, and okay. I mean, yeah. that sounds so spoiled to me. I'm so grateful that my parents helped to fund my education. But yes. at the same time, I'm super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, I'm a few, you know, I was a few months out from finishing high school and I just thought, oh God, okay, I'm just going to go with it. And so I studied that and I studied literature, didn't even study English lit. I studied French literature because, well, the argument was my parents were like, well, you already speak English. Why do you need to go study English lit? Um, What career are you going to make from that? At least if it was French lit, then I could still study literature, but I could prove to them it's in another language. So I'm becoming more intellectual. (laughs) So that was sort of my argument, like how I justified it at the time. Um, and the goal was to become a lawyer. So my first job out of college was working as a paralegal for a couple of years. What? And, um, yeah. And I mean, I think I would have enjoyed a career in that. But there was something in me that was like, I just want to do something creative. So I got a side hustle um, as uh, an intern in, at Yelp, actually, which at the time was a okay. brand new startup that nice. my friend's boyfriend had started in San Francisco. And they what? needed to open up. Yeah, it was crazy. It was so small at the time. And she just goes, hey, listen, so he started this thing and we're trying to open up the Boston division. You want to be my intern? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I got a crash course in marketing and PR and everything from there. And I was working mad hours. Um, like my day job at the law firm during the day. I worked at Yelp I on the weekends. Imagine. I was like selling paintings in the evening. And that was when I kind of got addicted to the idea that, you know what? Like you meet amazing people who give you opportunities and you realize I can do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Screw it. Let me just go try it and see. And it felt so, I know this sounds so cheesy, but like when I was exploring these different avenues, I had never felt more me. Hmm. And that's when I realized, you know what? I think I'm just going to do it. I want to live my life like this. And then, and then my dad got sick. Hmm. Um, And so at the time I had been planning to go to uni and get my master's degree in comms either in France or in London. 
And then I got this phone call saying that my dad had had a heart attack. The doctor said he would probably have two years left. And I quit my job almost immediately and moved back to Dubai. And I'm so glad that I did because it wasn't two years. We had about six months. Um, I've never regretted it. It was like, you know, something in my gut told me that. And this job opened up for an opportunity at a newspaper, which was actually like technically in Sharjah, but on the borderline that's closer to Dubai. Mm -hmm. Um, And the job was as like a copy editor. And it was so awkward because I was the only woman on the team um, and I was the youngest. Of course, I had yeah. a brilliant deputy editor, Ramesh. Like he was wonderful, like a great guy to work with, and he really helped give me the confidence that I needed. Um, and especially in like sort of my first UAE job then. Mm-hmm. But it was hard because you know I had to deal with people not taking you seriously yes. and stuff like that. And then yeah, after yeah. that, I realized no, this is what I want to do. I know that this is what I want to do. Mm. Um, I don't know if maybe my dad passing away had something to do with it, but. My parents, I never forget when I told them I want to be a writer, I'd like to be a journalist. And then they just looked at me and they went, oh God, you're going to be poor for the rest of your life. Oh and I'm like, you're never going to move out. <laughs> of <those places." laughs> and I was like, well, I'll be poor, but I'll be happy, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was a little bit of both. I mean, I probably should have been a bit more practical, like when I was younger. But mm-hmm. this idea of like this, you know, I'm going to be the starving artist living la vie poème and all that <laughs> yeah, stuff. But, yeah, you know, yeah. the idea was that I just kind of knew in that moment that if I didn't do as cheesy as it sounds, what my heart really wanted, I could never be happy. Yeah. And I couldn't live like that. That's yeah. kind of been sort of an ongoing theme in my life. When your gut is telling you something, you have to follow it. Yeah. Because you can't lie to yourself. And being authentic in the way you live your life, whether it's your job, your relationships, whatever you do, it's always been super important to me. So I just thought, okay, well, let me give this a shot. If I fail, I fail. Yeah. So I started applying to every job I could think of in media, magazines, editorial, and I was determined to see if I could give this a go. And I thought, if I fail, I fail, but at least I know I gave it a shot. Um, And I had this interview with this amazing woman called Lena, who to this day is one of my greatest mentors. She's one of my greatest friends. And we had this great interview where we just talked for ages. And at the end of it, um, she said to me, you and I were kindred spirits. And I've never forgotten that. And we truly were. I, I think we had even talked about like Harry Potter and bonding over our love for that during um, Harry <laughs> huge, Potter huge Harry Potter. She'll show you her Harry Potter shelf at the end <laughs> okay, of this episode. Yes, please. Her shrine. <laughs> well, the thing is, it, but it's amazing how certain stories can make you click and bond with someone. Yeah. You know? Yes. Um, and yeah, so she's amazing. And it got me into that company. And, you know, we ended up working there for seven or eight years. And oh, wow. while I was there, yeah, I hustled. Um, it's not easy working in media. But at the time... I, I like to say that I call it like the tail end of the golden years of it um, because it's changed so much since then. Mm-hmm. And it was sad for me when all these years later I had finally made it to being the editor in chief of a magazine working with and I had launched it. It was Women's Health. And it was a huge moment for wow. me because I'll never forget like when I went for the training in New York and when I went to on future trips, I went to like a CVS or something and I picked it up and I thought, That's my name in the U.S. Uh, version of Women's Health and the list of international editors. And I've had so many of those pinch me moments. Um, But I worked really hard to get them. And mm. it's sort of strange. it's, It's strange for me to think of like the way I communicate my emotions about this because I don't mean to sound ungrateful. Yeah. 
but it does bother me when people say things like oh you're so lucky and that's all they say hmm. because it's not usually luck and i don't just mean me i mean like most people it's a combination of luck and hard work yeah because if you don't have yeah. the discipline you're never going to get there but having said that it is also sometimes the, the luck comes from having an opportunity show up and being ready to go and take it and give it your all yes. or meeting an amazing person who inspires you and enables you to think I can do this yes you know and they, they're willing to teach you and so for me the luck has come in the form of these incredible people I mean I've met some of my best friends for life while working at the magazine yeah um so yeah because I can imagine having an opportunity present itself to you as you said the luck part but then you're not ready you're not ready to hustle, you're not ready to work for it, then eventually it'll just falter. So you can yeah. imagine like your friend's boyfriend who was starting Yelp at that time said, you know, you want to intern for me? And you're like, actually, no, because I'm tired. I'm doing this job at the, you know, as a paralegal, I'm not sleeping. If you had said no to that, then, you know, yeah. it wouldn't have trickled down to you coming back here, yeah. you getting so it's sort of yes a combination of luck or whatever people would call it but it's also you like really pushing yourself as hard as you can yeah the luck is definitely it. in those yeah. doors opening yes. but also i mean that's not to say i don't think that means someone should always be like you know pushing, pushing. themselves to take every single opportunity it's yeah. more about learning to sort of get in tune with yourself to understand when the door has been opened for something that you might really want mm. um and then so like if we fast forward way down the line i mean you know so you guys are aware that i'm also i've done um, i'm a sound healing therapist i've done uh, i'm a meditation and mindfulness teacher as well and that aspect of my life is also really important to me and i think it started quite early on i'll never forget my very first experience with meditation was actually it's it was in a room at school and I, I think I was in like year six or seven or something maybe a little that's older that's fairly young um I had a gym teacher who had led this meditation session and I, I don't even remember her name and to this day whoever she is thank you because <laughs> I remember walking out of that experience thinking whoa what was that that mm. was amazing and I still it's not like I then went on and studied everything about meditation I didn't completely understand it at the time but I knew it was powerful and I think it really sort of hit home for me this idea yeah. that you have to follow your gut yes um, and so like I said the fast forward it's this idea that I think nowadays wellness culture has become so pervasive it almost worries me to an extent because I love the fact that more people around the world are getting into holistic living and mm. you know all of this stuff it's great but there is a very fine line where it could be dangerous because yes, it's yes. irresponsible. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this term called spiritual bypassing. But no. No. so it basically is the idea that you use your spirituality or like sort of holistic healing and all that stuff as a vehicle for avoiding what you really need to deal with. Right. Um, yeah. And so if we were to talk about the idea of these doors opening, just coming back to that subject, manifestation is a big one. Yeah. So I think the idea being that if you were to do sort of spiritual bypassing, you would to use manifestation in that way, you would say, oh, I'm just going to manifest it. I, I'm going to have this. I'll just manifest it. Mm. Yeah. You don't yeah. just sit there and go, ah, I want the yeah. thing to happen then and you manifest. It's like, you know, as much as I would love to believe in Harry Potter, magic <laughs> in that sense is not real. That's the true. manifestation is the science of the law of attraction. If you think about the fact that if you truly want something and you have had that little conversation with yourself and I want it with everything I have, yeah. your body language is going to change. The way you communicate with the world's going to change. Yeah. Everything about the way you interact with the people, your surroundings is going to change, which will then open up those opportunities for you. And that is what you manifest, those doors opening. Yeah. So for example, in that instance, 
you know, and of course I didn't, wasn't aware of it at the time, but by deciding I want this and I really, really want it. And I absolutely was certain of that. And I put my all into sending out all those applications. And when I met with Lena that day for that interview way back then, I expressed it so truly and that enabled us to connect more authentically i think that is how you manifest Manifest. so to speak because that door is open yeah but if you simply just have this idea that oh i'm going to put it out there but you're not willing to then step through that door and take that opportunity you're not going to have the result Mm -hmm. if that makes sense i think the definition of manifestation is sort of being distorted as you mentioned because people use it as an easy route to be like okay i've i've manifested i mean there are some people who say oh i've really manifested it and and i don't know by chance it happened but it doesn't happen all the time and we were just talking about this in the previous podcast the seven habits highly effective effective people where he says like manifestation is actually like a goal or a vision that you write for yourself and you work towards it it's not about I've written it in my manifestation board. And, and it'll just appear. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like I want to be successful happen. one day and rich and then, you know, just keep on like joining lotteries and stuff. But they're not actually taking that step towards like yeah. obtaining that by themselves. Like yeah. it also happens a little bit in like religion. I want to say where they're like, oh, I'm going to pray that, you know, that I'm going to get my, I'm going to have this best job. But at the same time, I don't even apply for anything. So mm-hmm. it really need yeah. you need to put some you action put forward. Yeah, exactly. Well. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And it is the energy that you're putting, you're putting out there with everything that you do. So I think that's sort of what manifesting kind of becomes. But yeah, as you said, it becomes distorted. Yeah. Um, and there's so many aspects of that in modern wellness culture that mm-hmm. it's funny. I have this strange fascination with cults. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> watch so many documentaries about them. Um, and you'll see like sort of that theme in a lot of the novels that I'm trying to write at the moment. But it's because of this idea that when we forget to become in tune with ourselves, I think one of the things I find fascinating about that is a lot of the time when you look at people who end up being swallowed into something like that, you think, how could they? Because these are intelligent, educated right. people yeah, who yeah, do yeah. seem to think for themselves. It's because it is so easy to get swept up in it because it happens piece by piece over time. Right. Um, and so I think for me, when it comes to this idea of like, what is mindfulness or meditation or it's just remembering to always come back to what's in here mm-hmm. and like giving yourself a reality check, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, um, and reminding yourself of this is my path. This is who I am. And I can't forget those things. Yeah. And then you make your decisions from there. Yeah. When you said earlier that you listen to your gut, I think, it's also very important to preface that you have to listen to your gut when you are actually in tune with yourself. Because yeah. if you're not and you think it's, you know, your gut or you think it's something else, maybe it's not. Maybe yeah. it's just your mind, like, trying to be swept away. As yeah, that's what I say. Never, never make happened. decisions when you're angry or in a place of, you know, when you're in a low place, basically. Never... Yeah. Uh, when like your emotions yeah, are not stable. Yeah. Never do grocery shopping when you're hungry. You know, <laughs> yeah. all these things. Because at <laughs> yeah. the same time, the state of your body and mind might be completely yeah. different. So but you need to really take a step back, understand the risks if you really want to pursue mm-hmm. it. Because then, then go you, for you're it. not making the decision. Your emotions of that yes. moment are making the yes. decision. Yes, yes. true. So, yeah. So it, it, it's a good reminder that, yes, listen to your gut when you know that you're actually in yeah. tune, when you have meditated, when you have taken the time to actually think of all of the risks when you have you know just take a breather 
instead of just going 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 yeah. as you said and yeah. just pushing yourself to i have this little limit. like sort of ritual that i like to do when i really can't make my mind up about something and i am a super overthinker mm-hmm. i actually have like a mild form of ocd um mm-hmm. genuinely like it's you know and it when i realize that i'm like oh it all makes sense because people with that are really good at like attention to detail no wonder now my career makes sense right <laughs> um, but it also comes with like a lot of ruminating thoughts as well so okay. you know you have to know when to sort of pull yourself back yes. but anyway when i struggle to make a decision sometimes i'll i'll write down my list of pros and cons and all of the things okay. i've overthought and you know so it's there so yeah. my brain has all of that information and then I'll look at it, I'll think about it, and then I'll rip it up and throw it away and sleep on it. Yeah. Because, and then whatever your gut tells you in the next like three days, week, whatever, that's because you're, then your mind has all the information already. True. Yes. And then yeah. you can let everything else settle into place and then come to what you really want. Yes. Yeah. Whereas it's not just like, oh, but this is it. Because you can also get so like a little too much in your head. That's true. But I, I also like that you write it down. I, I myself write pros and cons list all the time, especially if I'm, trying to decide for something that's quite big or something that's a little bit life-changing. To me, there's something about writing it down and letting your your brain process, okay, this is the pros list, this is the cons list. And it's similar to journalism, like there's just something about writing your thoughts, yeah. writing what, whatever is in your head down that makes it more, I don't know, understandable yeah. for your head that, okay, this is reality for and sure. it's not just everything. Yeah, well, there's been well. so much yeah. research done on the power of like journaling. It's yeah. it's honestly it's a huge thing. Um, there's a lot of science behind the benefits of it. So I definitely believe in that. So I, I just wanted to backtrack a little bit. What was that moment that made you think writing is what I want to do in the future? Like, what um, was that? It's sort of weird. I had a feeling that you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> like, I literally thought of this like a couple of days ago. And the answer is honestly, there was not one like, aha, eureka moment. It was Mm. more like little bits and pieces over time. And then you kind of collectively realize, oh, I'm already there, you know, and you don't realize that I've already been doing all the things. You can't avoid it. You know, I've been sitting there going, am I a writer? Can I be a writer? And then you kind of realize, oh, I've already been doing all the things that are taking me there anyway. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that there is this force that it's like, okay, well, it's unstoppable. I might as well roll with it, you know, in that sense. Um, Because it's not like I woke up one day and just thought, okay, boom, I'm going to be a writer. Mm -hmm. But then when you look back over your life and you realize it was always seeping out in certain little ways. Like when I was in college, I should have charged for it. (laughs) I never really thought about (laughs) it. But my my friends had always come to me with my paper, their papers, and I would help them edit and like, you know, correct their papers and whatever. And I was editing even from way back then. And I was the person people would go to as Mm -hmm. their human grammarly even back then. Yeah. And when I was in, I think it was year nine, my English teacher, Mr. Donovan, he had come up to me one day from this horrific short, it was a horror story, like a horror story that I had written. And I was so nervous when I handed it in because I thought, oh God, like what's someone going to think of me when they read this? It's a horror story, but it's pretty messed up. Um, and he had like asked me to stay after class and I thought I was going to get told off. Oh, okay. Um, and, and you were overthinking it already. I know, exactly. I'm <laughs> is like, my mom oh, going to have to what come? What have I done? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's Why like, is the psychologist here? <laughs> your child has some issues. And um, exactly. And actually he just said, have you ever thought about you know, taking your writing more seriously because you have a gift for this. And it was the first person in my life who ever made me realize, oh, I'm good at this. Hmm. Um, You know, and it's funny, I had seen him a few years ago. We had had one too many wines, I think. um, And I told him that, by the way, I don't know, um, I hadn't spoken to him since school, but like, I don't know how to say this, but I'm just going to come out with the cheese. Like, thank you for inspiring me. I know, like, it's an amazing nice. thing. You know, they must see hundreds of students come through the schools for all those years. But thank you, Mr. Donovan, because... Yeah. 
that very first comment, I don't think I even realized at the time what a huge impact it had planted a seed for yes. me. Yes. Yeah. Um, and when I told him, you know, I've started writing my first novel and he like both of us had like a moment of teariness. Oh, um, so, yeah, yes. I think as a child, it's very important that someone and I'm sure you took his advice or what his comment to your heart because he's a professional. He's yeah. not just a friend who's like, oh, you're good at editing. Yeah. Oh, thanks for editing my paper. You're actually good at this. No, it's actually a professional. Yeah. yeah. A teacher who teaches writing it's, it's told fu- you that you're good <laughs> at it. It's yeah. funny that you say that because so at this year's um, literature festival, I went to a talk by Jeffrey Archer. Um, Jeffrey Archer? Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. He's hilarious, by the way. He's like a real showman. Like if you ever get a chance to go to a talk wow. by him, like he's almost like he's basically okay. a comedian. He's brilliant. He had the, the entire audience like in stitches. Um, but loads of useful information. And I love the fact that at the end, he got quite emotional when he talked about what he's achieved so far, like to this day, even after everything. Mm. Um, but I had asked him a question as part of the talk, like, you know, from the audience. And when I asked him for some advice on like, how do you know when you're ready? And he said, give it to someone to read, but someone that you don't know. Do not give it to your friends. They're going to yeah. tell you you're great. They will lie. Yes. Don't give it to your partner. They'll tell you you're great. They will lie. Do not give it to your ki- like kids. If you have them, they will lie. Because people that you know, like it's wonderful. And you need, you need that support, yes. That yes. those yes. people to believe in you. But sometimes it's almost like the way that, you know, when people go to the hairdresser and they spill all of their gossip because it's someone impartial. Yes. It's that same vibe <laughs> yeah, for yeah, that yeah, validation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of hairdressers would be, would actually like have really to write a, a book. Yeah, the yeah. secrets that they must <laughs> or have. Or like taxi drivers, yeah, you know, like right? all these, yeah, you just make some <laughs> like small talk and you end up like, yo, I need to see you again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Therapist, thank you for your time. Right. Yeah, but that must have been amazing. And so how how did you go from that to where you are now like an award-winning writer that's amazing um so i'm not yet published i'm still finishing my novels and i'm gonna start querying agents this year it's pretty long process to Mm -hmm. be honest um and you know i've learned so much along the way the fellowship that i won last year it's been like there are no words to describe how grateful i am for it because it's the community it's the things i've learned and to have this group of fellow writers mm-hmm. it's been unbelievable um i had a little taste of that even before the fellowship i have a friend called stacy who's incredible and she's also a double award winner wow. um and she is writing a book and we used to meet up for these like sort of coffee dates and writing dates uh-huh. she's the one who encouraged me to apply mm-hmm. i wouldn't have had the confidence until she just said oh just go for it iwa um, right. you know and i really admire her and so you know, when she told me, just go for it, I just thought, okay, fine, I will. Um, but it's crazy how no matter how many things you might have achieved in your career as a writer, as a journalist, a book is a whole different ball game. you know? It's, yeah. it's so different, and it's such a long journey. Um, it's something that I had always wanted to do, but again, I never dreamed that I could become a traditionally published author. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if anyone has ever seen photos of me at either of those award ceremonies i have a full-on like ugly cry like that dawson's creek meme because you like i oh i told myself like if anything happens i'm gonna play it cool and then of course absolutely did not happen as soon as you see your years of hard work come out it's very emotional you know and it's yeah because you still don't believe that that level of achievement is possible and i will probably ugly cry again on the day that i sign with an agent on the day i hold my first book with my hands you know and all those things but it's a very long journey um and i think one of the things that's hard that perhaps can cause a barrier for a lot of people is 
lack of access to the knowledge that mm. you need to be able to succeed in an industry like that. Right. Um, which is something that the Lit Foundation with this fellowship is trying to do, which is really incredible. Mm. Oh, there's there's never been anything like it in this region. And so I think what this is going to do for future writers is incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to write it. And then one year after, I think, yeah, it was in 2018, I had left the job I was in at the time. And it was the first time like ever that I had been without a day job for a while and I was freelancing and I was in a long distance relationship. So I went to stay with my partner in South Africa for a few months. Mm -hmm. We traveled to Brazil and went to a spiritual retreat where we did some like plant medicine with some shamans. I don't know (laughs) if I'm allowed to say that. It was legal there. Ayahuasca and everything. Yeah. So just for the record, it was legal in the country that we did it. (laughs) Yes. Um, But I mean, it was an incredible experience and I think it almost broke me open. It was the year after I had done this boxing competition where I would wake up every day before work and get punch in the face at 5, 5.30 a.m., go to work, come back to the gym, start training again. And I realized that I had put myself through those situations because I wanted to, like, push myself to the max to Mm -hmm. find out when I'm ripped raw, who am I? What do I want? Your breaking point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, like, didn't realize I was doing it until I was already doing it. Mm -hmm. But then after that trip, I just sat there and I just thought, what do I truly want to achieve with my life? I've always wanted to write this book. And I know it sounds ridiculous to say it this way, but I had this like spiritual moment where like the spirit of Mother Earth showed me this celestial library. And I know it sounds insane, but she it was this, yeah, almost like, have you guys ever read the book, The Midnight Library? No. It's an amazing book. And it's, I think, I mean, he's never officially said it, the writer, Matt Haig, but it's loosely based on the idea of the Akashic Records, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's never stated that. Um, and it's this idea that there's this sort of like, I don't know, interdimensional library that contains all the different stories of your lives in there. So as I was oh. in this like spiritual experience, mm-hmm. I'm looking at all these books and I'm like, what are these? And this voice that was not the voice in my head. I know that voice. It was a different <laughs> one. And it just said, listen, like you're a storyteller. That is this, like each life is like a game. And your role in this one, you're a storyteller. So what are wow. you waiting for? Mm. Go tell your stories. And mm. I had always like, I had started writing that book beforehand in bits and pieces, but never really sat down to take it seriously. And after that, when we got back to South Africa after like flying back from Brazil, I just sat in his mom's kitchen and I just typed and typed and typed and typed. And suddenly wow. before I knew it, I had 35,000 words and I'm like, okay, I'm writing this book. That's um, amazing. Wow. Yeah. It's wow. just, it's sort of like, I mean, I don't want to say like, you know, some spiritual deity told me to do it. It's not like that. I mean, yeah. but I mean, I'm still, I'm a realist yet at the same time, I'm very spiritual. I know it's a strange combination, okay. Yeah. but I think it was just that I needed that push to believe that I could do it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I, I have the utmost respect for writers because I used to write when I was in college, more so like news journalism, but it's very difficult. Like at some points, like how do you tackle a writer's block, yeah, for example? Can I, can I also yeah. have yeah. a follow-up question to what she said? Sure. So I, I know in this day and age with like technology, like I just mentioned like chat GPT, you mentioned Grammarly. Yeah. <laughs> is it, is your job like, I don't want to say your job, but is it easier now if you wa- if someone did want to start becoming like a journalist or an author because of all these now tools that are right. there, like it can even complete a sentence if you wanted it to. Okay. So how um, do you feel your your career or what you want to do is being affected by everything okay. now? I don't know who to answer first. No, no, no you can. She asked, she asked first. Okay. And we'll it's Women's Day, yeah. so. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So how, how do you tackle and have you ever experienced a writer's block? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. Like in my group of like writer friends, we're always like, got to 
getting frustrated about it. And I feel like everyone will experience this, but it's not just writers, it's musicians, it's anyone who wants to do anything creative. And I've realized something as much as I don't want to admit it. Someone once said, there's a lot of famous writers out there actually who say writer's block doesn't exist. It's not real. Mm. It is real, but it's not a block per se. What I've realized it's that it's sometimes it's, in equal parts discipline, sitting down, making sure that you sit down and put the words down. If you float around waiting for the inspiration to come and be like, I'll just write when it comes to me, it's never going to happen. You got to sit there and coax it out because Mm -hmm, it's like a muscle. But at the same time, just like you would with training, you know, it's that if you keep pummeling all the time and you never take a rest day, your muscles are going to get injured and you're just going to be like, okay, boom, I'm going to go see a physio now. Exactly. And so sometimes I find that Every time I've had writer's block, it will be because either there's something else going on in some other part of my life that I haven't dealt with, mm-hmm. or maybe I'm just exhausted and I need rest, or that there's something in the story that isn't quite right. And the reason why I can't write is because like the next part, or I'm stuck on that edit is because I don't know what's supposed to happen yet. And I need to give myself the headspace to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm still working on it. I mean, I literally just spent the weekend like battling the writer's block as well. But I think it's a combination of like, and it's not easy. I'm still trying to learn what it is. And I probably will be figuring this out for the rest of my life. Yeah. But I think it's dancing on that tightrope between when to push yourself and say, nope, suck it up, go do it, have that discipline. And when to be kind to yourself and say no no you need some rest yes and you're constantly dancing between that and that's where you will find your greatest productivity i think being um, a boxer would really help because it's sort of like a similar experience the mental focus. Yes. I'm sorry i keep whacking this microphone sorry totally um, fine yeah it's yeah and so there's this concept in psychology called flow state and mm-hmm. it's it's funny because i think a lot of people think that it's something that you only get into meditation or spirituality and things like meditation it can absolutely help because it puts your brain into the brainwave frequencies that help with that flow state right but it doesn't have to be that way like for example you can find meditation and movement when i go boxing the whole idea is that you are 100 percent completely and utterly present like I haven't been doing it in about a year and a half now mm-hmm. because I've been so focused on my book and work, but I love surfing. And that's something that had always also given me that sense of absolute freedom because you can't think of anything else in that moment. Yes. You're so right. completely and utterly present and engaged in what you do that it's a mental release. Yeah. And after you've done something like that, you can get yourself into that flow state once again. It's So I have ADHD and there's something which we call that flow state called the uh, hyper fixation or okay, hyper focus. Yeah where literally time flies your your mind is just focusing on your work and uh like even when i because i'm a i do stand-up comedy so when i when i write my jokes like it it, exactly like everything you just said is so true like but the moment like where i think of something and i'm like i need to jot this down then i'm like focused on that so it's it's really such a beautiful thing i I try to get it every day but it's like almost impossible you need to be like yeah everything has to be aligned before you get it but that's exactly it it's like sometimes you have to wait and then you know sort of i think shaping your life in a way where when that moment comes and you're like oh it's here and i feel that you can can pounce on it i know that's not always possible because there's life and responsibilities so i think another thing is you find ways to curate the little triggers that can help put you in that state Mm -hmm. so for example i have like playlists that i only listen to when I'm working on my novel I won't listen to them for anything else or like I know it sounds a little bit OCD but like I'll sit on certain chairs and certain cafes I will never do any other kind of work in there even if I'm like working remotely nope that is only it's almost sacred that space for that because then your mind your body you're almost like training yourself almost like um 
what is that that pavlov's dog experiment yes, yes. yes i am yes, pavlov yes. dogging myself yes. in that sense to train myself that i will react to hopefully get into that flow state so yeah. At the end of the day, it always comes down to understanding yourself better and with all of those different aspects. I never realized how much I talk with my hands until now. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so I think that's part of how I get past the blocks or I'm trying to get there. Yeah. I like how you said that it's a learning curve and you'll never get out of that because yeah. the more that you do it, the more that you learn and you better yourself about it as well. Yeah. So that's. But I, like I think that. with yeah. most things in life in general, like when something becomes too easy, mm. that's when I... Like it's nice to enjoy it for a while. You don't yeah. always want to be moving the goalposts, but yes. there will come a time where it's like, okay, this is, I've got this down now. What's my next challenge? Yeah. And yeah. that's how you grow to always make yourself a little bit uncomfortable. Not horribly so. Yeah. Not punishingly so. True. But, but so She pushing. tells me this all the time. Like there are times <laughs> that I'm like, okay, this is my life now. Like what's next? Yeah. Then we always have to find something that to keep challenging ourselves, which I really yeah. try to do every single day. It's yeah. tough though, because like, I don't know about you, but like since we're raised in Dubai, we have things quite, uh, I mean, like resources are available at our fingertips. So mm. like going past that, getting, going outside your comfort zone, your bubble is quite hard because, you know, like, okay, I just want to chill and take a step back. But yeah. at the same time, like we need to be seeing the bigger picture. Yeah. Like, okay, what's next for my but life? But not, not when it becomes an addiction, right? Yes. There's like a balance. Yes. Sometimes it's nice to be in that comfort zone to like, because you need to soothe yourself in that sense. And then there are other times where we need to push ourselves. So again, I feel like everything in life comes and goes in those waves. Yeah, it's a balance. Yeah. But uh, you know, like for, for me, it's, it's or I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people can also relate, but once you're in that zone, it's, it's so hard to get out of. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I think having a good support system, you know, obviously you guys understand each other. That makes a huge difference. Yeah. Like, I'm very lucky in that, like, my partner, he, um, <laughs> he's so patient. It's one of the best things about yes. him with that stuff where he knows when I'm in the zone and I do my thing. Um, and, you know, <laughs> when I'm at work, <laughs> so you know that um, TV show Inventing Anna? Yes. You know how at one point in the show she goes, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I don't have time for you. And so I at she work all like, the time. Yeah, my uh, my deputy editor Ross and I we had printed out these um like you know there's a meme of that. So okay. I printed it out and like put that on the desk when I'm really busy when I'm in the zone. So it's yes. like please guys, I'm in the flow. Don't interrupt me unless it's like urgent and the building's like on fire or something. Yes. We'll put that little sign up and yes. using that meme as like this is the red red traffic Do light. I'm in the zone yes. and then you take this it away. This is the sock on the door kind of Basically. thing, you know like <laughs> this you know what it is. I love that. Yeah. I love inventing Anna. But, but uh, just to, to continue on that, there's this, there's this new, it's not a new thing, but it's somewhere like that has been happening for a while now. You know, this hustler mentality where mm-hmm. like, I need to do 500 things today. I need to sleep like four hours, yeah. which I feel is very toxic as well. It yeah. is, Because yeah. you, at the same time, like you'll watch this Gary V video and you're like, oh, you know, I need to sell everything. I need to invest in this. I need to sleep four hours a day. I need to keep hustling and stuff. So I, at the same time, like, even we spoke about this previously where it's like it's really taking its toll on people because they think like whatever i do will never be enough for sure yeah because then it becomes like an addiction so there's this term um that a lot of people refer to that state as now called the cult of busyness and it's this idea that you have to always serve this need to be busy and it's because Mm -hmm. it's almost as you said it's become a form of addiction and it's it's damaging because then we start to associate our sense of self-worth with only achieving 100% yes um, right and again like i mean I, I know it sounds like so like cliched but it's this idea of constantly finding balance because well it's good to be ambitious and to achieve i think it's always boils down to asking yourself why am i doing this 
And let's say, for example, you know, you guys are passionate about podcasting, but you start reaching a point where maybe, you know, you become the victims of your own success and it mm-hmm. becomes huge and you still love it, but it's maybe becoming so demanding that you're, it's making you forget why you love this thing. That's the point where you maybe take a pause and reflect. I'm talking about in the future when you guys become like no, we've, famous, you we've, know? Yes, no, you know? I would love that. But, <laughs> it's but coming. I, I know, I know what you exactly what you mean because there are days where we're like it's in our calendar. We have to sit down and podcast, but at the same time, you're like tired. We just had a long week, and we're like, you know, I don't want to do this. And at the, the same time, in the back it. burner, yeah. like, and I'm just yeah. thinking, you know, like, yeah, we need yeah. to put an episode out, but. Like you, you can't, yeah. like work is work. You can't always love it every moment of every day. You know, there are moments where you just have to be like, okay, discipline, suck it up and just go. It It has to be done. Yeah. But I think it's, yeah, that cult of busyness idea. It's the idea that if you're constantly hustling, then where's the time for rest? Like humans have seasons and we have moments of up and down. Everything is, that's life, you know? And I think you're, that's just, it's just how we're going to burn out at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again it's always like you know that 90s expression check yourself or you regret yourself yeah, yeah. it's literally always comes down to yes. that right yeah but but i love how a lot there's a lot more um, understanding of that now that we should try to veer away from the hustle culture and that rest is okay because yeah. again if we look years back people are like no rest is for you yeah Rest is for the weak. Don't rest. You have to keep pushing. But sure. actually, you can more and keep more pushing. People, yeah. yeah, there are some people. I think um, you know we still have some ways to go because some people still don't necessarily understand that. Yeah, and that's okay. And I guess we also have to remember that some everyone else's like sort of tolerance limit for how much they want to push themselves. They're, everyone's life is different. You know, yes. it's going to be different for each person. Yeah, and it, for, even for each individual, it's going to change at different aspects of your life depending on what's happening in that phase of your life yeah but um i was also a victim of that i literally used to live like that where everything was so scheduled and i would like punish myself to the point that at one point i ended up in the hospital on an iv drip and i kept fainting and i got really ill and i'm like okay i should probably calm down or i'm going to have a stroke and you know i'm so into meditation and stuff i felt like a fraud because it's like well i should know better you know but it's so difficult to not see it when you're so like stuck into it it. so yeah just now i build in like the energy to ground myself every now and then and just i think it's also reminding myself that when you want to do all those things even if it's for a good reason let's say you want to help people or you want to do this awesome creative thing or whatever it is are you being as kind to yourself as you are to others? Yeah. And it's mm. remembering to always be compassionate with yourself. So like if you had a friend who had been working super hard and you can tell like, they're, you know, you want to keep pushing them because they need that at the same time every now and then, you know when to tell your friends, listen, you've been working really hard. Give yourself a little break. Yeah. Can we do that for ourselves as well? And are you saying that to yourself too? Yeah. yeah. And that's what I've been trying to learn how to do for the past several years. And I do feel a lot better for it. That's good. It's difficult, but it's like it's a constant good. battle, yeah. right? Easy. Constantly. Yeah. 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 It's so tough. Yeah. Like finding that fine line, you know, between work and play and rest. And I, I think that's because also from coming from the generational, I would say, Mm, background of our parents of Mm -hmm. how they used to like no rest work 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 and from our grandparents and now we're like oh rest is okay it's different i'm trying to be one of the first generations to actually change the narrative so we're still trying to find our ground yeah yeah we're like we're now like voicing a lot of things about like mental health mm -hmm. and like rest days and everything so it's really like something that we have to constantly remind ourselves and like what you said is perfect you know like 
we i will beat myself up if i don't like if i skip the gym for a day and then then she'll always be like you know what you deserve a rest you've been going for like five days in a row now yeah, yeah. like That's we can't lie to ourselves right yeah so it's, i mean we literally like my boyfriend and i we have these conversations all the time oh like w- there's this term nowadays it's worth explaining where you try to explain it to, to like validate the thing uh, but you're trying to justify it for okay, yourself okay, really okay. um and the idea is like okay well if it's really just an excuse then you can feel bad about it because you can't lie to yourself and you know when you're actually just being yes, lazy. Yes. Um, but when you true. really do need a rest, like it's okay, forgive yourself yeah. for it. Um, but therapy has also been a huge thing that's helped me with that. You know, I believe a lot in holistic coaching and it's like, you know, if you want to eat better, you might go see a nutritionist. If you want to get in better shape, you might go see a PT. So why not the same thing for your head? Yeah. Um, and it's really mind, great. Yeah. yeah, it helps you get a third party perspective of all the things that you're going through mm-hmm. and I think it helps you build that level of self-awareness and work through any of the blocks that are keeping you from being more self-aware. And that's kind of the key for me for everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we agree. I think, again, years ago, saying the word therapist is taboo Taboo, like yeah Yeah, like what are you on dude just get some sunlight and you'll be okay there's nothing wrong with you why would you you do that you're just being lazy or it's just excuses it doesn't exist yeah yeah and i again like i think we could go on the flip side where nowadays you know i saw this terrifying thing where it's like um this idea that on tiktok for example it's almost trendy to say that you have an issue so to speak Mm. um and again like if 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 that is being used as something to say okay well i've got this problem so i'm I, i can't do the thing you know well, that's great that you have the problem, but it doesn't mean that you can use it as an excuse. Yes. It's the, yes. I think it takes both sides. You know, the world needs to be more understanding, but it's also like, you know, for example, I always kind of think of this um, really simple example. I know it's not a mental health issue, but let's say you've got two kids who are the children of divorce and one of them makes an effort to be the best partner that they could be once they've grown up and they're in a relationship mm-hmm. with someone and the other one is just awful and mm-hmm. when you ask them oh what you know why the first one will say oh because my parents divorced and i wanted to learn from it and be better and the other one's like well my parents were divorced so they damaged me mm-hmm. well if you're aware of it then you could do something about it you know right. it becomes yes. almost an excuse like if you know that that yes. messed you up then go see someone about it go do something about it work through your issues don't um, let it end there yeah but and use it as an excuse but yeah. i think it's easier said than done and that whole idea of like the self-awareness i think that's why so many of us myself included at times like we avoid it because it's uncomfortable yeah sometimes you know because part of being more self-aware means you have to look in the mirror every now and then be like yeah i'm being a jerk and i need to fix this thing you know or it's and it's it's icky and it's uncomfortable sometimes but Sometimes we have to deal with that in order yeah. to get to know ourselves better. Yeah, some people are not ready to have the co- that conversation with themselves, right? Yeah. yeah, it's like I don't want to touch that subject. It's yeah. quite touchy for Even me. Even with okay yourself, where I am now. like yeah. you know, those thoughts. Sometimes yeah. you just block it out. You're like, no, 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 I, I don't want to think about it. Like, yeah, it's better to just sweep it off the under the rug. But sometimes you just have to have those conversations yeah. and those realizations with yourself. So the mind is so weird. Yeah. So it's weird in complex, that sense, right? Yeah. Wonderful and complex thing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, some people, for instance, who have deep trauma, they might not be ready because it's a lot. You know, you have to be in a certain time and place and energy level to be able to deal with whatever you need to unpack. Yes. um, If it's something really big and that's okay too, you know, but the idea that someday make a promise to yourself that when you're ready, you will face the thing. Yeah. Um, You know, however long it might take, but you kind of make those deals with yourself. Mm -hmm. I try to do it constantly and I'm like, what did I promise myself the other week? Write it (laughs) down, guys. Write it down and then revisit it, you know, when you're Mm -hmm. ready. Yeah, whenever we forget things, write it down. That's the key. Yeah. Do do you want to go back to your Your, question? Your AI question? Oh, yes, yes, yes. 
Are you ready to answer? Do you want me to yeah, say it again? Yeah, no, or? it's fine. Um, okay. I remember it. So it's <laughs> funny because <laughs> I think a lot of people in my field have been asked this a lot. And are you afraid of it? Or do you think it's great? Or do you think it's a threat? I can see how a lot of people might think of it as a threat because it's scary good. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also, I also had the initial like, oh God, like, you know, what is this new thing? And it's going to take all of our jobs. But at the end of the day... I think like with most things in life, adapt or die, you know, you have to get used to some new technology. Otherwise, it was the same thing when we went from like print publishing to digital, right? Yes, Everyone's yeah. like, oh God, what's going to happen? It's this new thing. We don't always like the change, but there's probably a pro and a con to most things in life. And in the case of like something like ChatGPT, for instance, it can help so many people. You know, I know people who, for example, are not very good writers and mm -hmm. they try to use that. To, like I have a friend who like write something and then they'll put, plug it into ChatGPT and say, write this better. Mm -hmm. So he's still written the thing. But again, it comes down to that individual because he looks at what the ChatGPT um, like system has done yeah. and compares it to his own and yeah. uses that to learn from it. And that right. desire it's because the intention comes from a good place, right? right. To um, better himself or herself. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, in the beginning, I was like, oh, gosh, what's this going to do to the industry? You know, and so in terms of my day job, like you still need an editor and you still need someone who's going to fact check. And True. can it write with human emotion? It yeah. can learn, but it will only have the subset of information that is it is open to. You still have to have a person who's teaching it. And then I think we have to think of the other level of it, which is when machines develop that intelligence, it's great. But it's all down to the people who are feeding it that intelligence. Mm -hmm. yes. So it will only know or have the views of the expanse of people who are feeding into that. Yes. So it then, again, can cross another dangerous territory because then it might not be as diverse as you might hope it would be. Or, you know, so I think there's just so many things to consider. Yeah. I feel like we're in a very early days stage of this. So we're hopefully a long way from the days of like Terminator and yes, you know, Judgment Sarah Day Connor, and, yeah, and all those ideas. <laughs> um, but also on the ethical side, I the part that does stress me out and upsets me is that there is always going to be someone out there or some people out there who will want to like, I don't know, just be jerks about it and not have ethics when it comes to certain things. Those people are always going to exist no matter what the tool is, no matter what the industry is. But now I was reading this thing on Twitter the other day about this publishing company. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's like a literary magazine and they were having to like screen all these submissions with AI checkers because people are not writing it, you know? Um, oh, okay, okay. And, you know, and think about like, you know, for example, the publishing industry. It's right. such a tiny percentage of people who actually get published. That yes. door is like tight enough to begin with, yes. you know. And for all of us who spend years slaving away, putting your heart and soul into a book. And like, there's this great quote. I don't remember who said it. And they will say it a lot more eloquently than me. But the idea was like, if you want to become a great writer, it's simple. All you have to do is cut open a vein and bleed all over the page, you know. And like, okay. So, I mean, you, know, you put your heart and soul into it. Yes. And can a machine ever really produce something that is the same as that? Yes. But it's just, even if you forget about all of that. It's just not ethical yes. because that's it's cheating. It's yeah. basically cheating. Yes. Um, and I think for me, I always think of it as you remember that episode of Friends where Phoebe um, gets all that money by accident and she really wants to buy a pair of boots. With oh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, she yeah. goes, I can't because every step I'm going to take, it's going to be like, not mine, not mine. Yeah. That's how I would feel if yes. I ever were to cheat my way to whatever it is, uh -huh. because like the reward and the joy of getting that accomplishment it's never going to, you're, you're denying yourself the chance to have that. And it's never going to be the full extent of what it could be because deep down, and again, you can't lie to yourself, yes. deep down, you will know, you know that you cheated. Yes. And that little part of you, that's tiny little voice somewhere that's going to be like, 
well, if I didn't cheat, what if I never was good enough without that? I don't ever want to live with that in my own head. So I want to know that whatever I did, I did it with the strongest ethics I could. Mm. But that will depend on the individual. Yeah. So from, but yeah. there's a good and bad to it. No, yeah. but at the same time, like where the world is going, people will really like push people or like push people down and really sidestep their way into something, you know, like yeah. especially if there's a lot of gatekeeping. I don't know how it is in like in the world of journalism where like, oh, you know what? You don't have that that gift. There is, yeah. So so so, so some people like I don't know, like people who will really try to make their mark, they would do really quite a few things, even if it's at the cost of like yeah. their own ethics like you yeah, mentioned or if at the cost of someone else so but that's the thing i feel like the gatekeeping in that industry it's more it's less so about the talent mm. you know that you would replace with a mm-hmm. chat gpt versus like the networking you know or having the right look or the right story to your background or whatever those are more of the barriers in the gatekeeping than if you have the talent then the frustration should be that you have the talent, but no one's giving you your shot. Not right. like, you know, I'm going to fight for my shot, but yes. I don't want to do the work to develop my skills yes. and yeah. have what it takes, you know? Yeah. Um, but on that note, I yeah, it will be interesting. I think they do need to start developing a series of like laws and parameters around how the ethical side of that is going to work because how are you going to know yeah. what's fair? Yes. And yeah, people could be making their money off of it. But, you know, I don't know. I think we'll just have to wait and see. So I think for writers and authors and even for students, I think there's been a lot of comments about using it for essays and writing papers and stuff like that. One thing it can be great for is saving on time. So research. Mm. So and that's it's like when you think of it that way, that's where it can be brilliant, like having your little own like PA, you know. So, for example, if I'm trying to research like, I don't know how to break down a door or like, you know, give me the name of every president of this country since whatever year it can spit out the information so much more quickly if you are in a rush. Yes. Um, I think part of the joy for me is the research. I love delving into that like sort of black hole of the internet where you're on page after page and three hours later, you're like, I know so much random stuff about something that wasn't my first question. Yes. Uh And it's fun. Do you, can you remember when, okay, the internet was there, but it wasn't as informative as it is now Mm -hmm. that you had to actually go to a library yeah. and look for every single book that is related to the subject that yeah. you're looking for I, I used to enjoy that Wait, did lot. you guys ever have those um encarta encyclopedia oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, remember those. I would get annoyed because like my dad he like uh i like i already told you he's also an editor and journalist so we had britannica we had like literally every book and every door-to-door salesman knew like this is the guy <laughs> he can it. sell anything <laughs> to and he'll buy it and there's like no place in our house my dad subscribed to like three newspaper at a time and i'm just like there's no place in our house there's like only books <laughs> newspapers magazines everywhere so it was kind of annoying at the same time but at the same time like oh if letter e like if i want to read about elephants <laughs> i just pull out the yeah so what does your dad think of it he he loves it he loves he loves print media till date like he i'm pretty sure like gulf news has lost like not like gulf news but every newspaper basically now they're all doing that online subscription mm-hmm. so like every there's still people who still come to our house my dad would sit with them he'll write the check you know like i'm gonna subscribe tradition. to this yes and, and his thoughts on chat gpt or have you not asked uh, him? i've never I've asked him i can ask him tonight because he's coming <laughs> over here later yeah. but i can i can check with him that's your dad yeah yeah being another yeah, i mean it's so new and i think it's pretty normal for people to have that chicken little effect where it's something new and it seems powerful so we're like you know, this guy is falling. But yeah. Give it a little time to settle and see. Yeah. It's it's like remember? Um, do you guys remember the mini disc? Yes. Everyone was like, this thing is going to be amazing. It's going to change the world. And then yes. 
three years later, everyone's like, what's a mini disc? Yes. So you, you don't know if it's going to be the iPod or the mini disc. You just yes. got to wait and find out. I think it's probably more likely that it's the iPod in terms of it lasting yes. uh-huh. to see how it evolves. Yeah, I'm sure our, our parents or our grandparents felt the same as well when something new was being introduced, like the mobile phone or at that time, the telephone or the internet. And so there's always this fear about the something new, but then we find our way around it yeah and then i guess the government also has to play a very vital part in making sure it's used that properly. it's used properly yeah. and yeah, that same like when uber came out right it. everyone's like no like all the taxi companies will lose everything and then suddenly like okay we we'll all live evolve. with it yeah. Yeah. we all evolve those yeah. things yeah. have a way of like coming back around in circles right yeah but it's funny what you just said about how you know things keep changing I think that is one big thing from no matter what culture we're in. It's more of a generational thing mm. in that in our parents' generation, these new things would come up a lot more infrequently. Mm. And now, because technology is moving at such a fast pace, I feel like, you know, again, also touching on that idea of the cult of busyness, I almost feel like our entire world is overstimulated all the time because oh, there's yeah. something new all the time. Yeah, there's yeah, something yeah. going on all the time. and We need more content. And it's just, it's yes. nonstop. And yeah. it's been interesting because I keep seeing all these things online of like, I don't know what the trend is called, but these people who go off and like live in the wilderness because they want to go back to basics. And, you know, I feel like, everything has its way of finding its natural balance but i feel like the world is coming to a level of like peak non-stop information new stuff all the time and it's quite unsustainable for people to be that buzzed all the time that stimulated all the time and you know i really actually enjoy those like i watched like i survived 10 days without my smartphone (laughs) like i so it's like really like people like also trying to monetize that in such a way you know like we're like okay i want to see what this is so many people on youtube yeah Yeah. (laughs) tiktok were actually going I know living in the mountains or having their own farm, for example, yeah. and living off the grid. Mm, like yeah. we were just talking about, like about this on our last episode. Like Janine, I have been obsessed with the show Naked and Afraid. Okay. So it's basically okay. like these guys who are in the wilderness, no clothes, fending for themselves, building their own shelter and stuff. So in a way, you know, like we're still intrigued by things like that. You know, where like the caveman days, we're out to hunt. Like okay, now I'm going to use his. Uh, skin for like protection and i'm going to use this his body parts for like the stew and everything animal so it's like, not his because you yeah. say yeah, yeah sorry sorry <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry 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 yes. cannibalism not cool yes <laughs> but you know what i'm but, trying um, to say like yeah. like things still like fascinate us in that yeah. extent you know like if whether it be like 100 years in the future 100 years in the past yeah. it'd be like whoa and that's the thing i feel like if we could go back in a time machine they'd be like oh wow you guys are like aliens with all the amazing technology you have and so i think from both sides it's that idea of like the grass is greener. Yeah, you know? so true, so true. I yeah. mean, the things that we're able to do now, the advancements in like, you know, healthcare, medical technology, the amazing things that are possible that would not have been possible before. Yeah. But that doesn't mean forgetting the awesome things that we used to have back in the day, yeah. you know? Which were the fa- which are the foundation to where we are yeah, at now. Yeah, still being able to know. It's funny, actually, I used to joke with a friend, like, you know, <laughs> they were like, what's your training philosophy? And I said, train like you could survive, like, so that you, if the zombie apocalypse hit, you could survive it. Um, and my fear was always that I couldn't see anything because I wore glasses and I had contacts. I've since had like an eye operation, but I'm like, see, okay, now I'm good for the apocalypse. Because yes. back then, it's like no matter how hard I trained my survival skills, without contacts, I'm doomed. Or if your <laughs> exactly. glasses break, then you're done. Yeah. So thank goodness for technology in that respect. Yeah, no, that's that's that's, true. that's very true. Yeah, you have to talk to her about the. the yeah, I'll speak to because I've been speak. Okay. I was been thinking lately about doing LASIK so I can okay. check with you on what your experiences was. Yeah, I didn't do 
LASIK actually. Um, I couldn't do it because my corneas were too thin, so it was quite high risk. But I did something called ICL surgery. Um, it's something that they do for glaucoma patients where they cut a little hole and they basically put a permanent contact lens in your eye. So if I look into ah. a ring light, my eyes glow like cats because there's a permanent lens in there. Oh, wow. Okay, um, I like glow as in there's a red I mean, it's just, it's a bit shiny reflective. Oh. Yeah. But um, it's amazing. Like, honestly, after so many years of being like, basically legally blind yeah i would wake up and be like wow i can see my ceiling this is amazing yeah. you, know, you know when you take a shower and when you have nothing yeah. on you're like wait i can't see anything and like, even before i went to bed i would lie awake unable to sleep for ages because taking out my contacts and the world going fuzzy was part of my pre-bedtime ritual my brain was like no no you're still awake because your contacts aren't out i'm like oh, wow. that doesn't have matter anymore um, so technology. yeah, it took me a while to adjust. But Thank yeah. you, wow. technology. Yeah. Wow. But one of the yeah. biggest reasons for wanting to do that was also like just for freedom. Like so many of the sports that I love, you know, when I'd go surfing, part of my, you know, you're already, you've already battled the normal fears of like, you know, if I wipe out or I have something really awful or you get tumbled under or something, but Open I'm like, water. <laughs> what if my contacts fall out and then I'm blind and I don't know which way is up or down. And, you know, that was a little scary. Yes. So that to be able to go experience that, I remember I had gone with my friend, Sean, um, to go surfing after that. And I'm just standing there getting like bashed in the face by wave after wave. It was a long set. And um, I was quite close to the shore. And he was like, what are you doing, Iwa? Get out of the way. And I'm like, it's fine. This is amazing because I can see it. Look at my eyes. And he must have thought I was insane. But it was, yes. yeah, it was an epic feeling. <laughs> yeah, I think like you need to get it I need to, definitely. Well, he's also very blind without his okay. lenses. Yeah, the other day she wakes me up and I'm like, look at the fog. And I'm like, there is fog everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't That's see. just the world for me. <laughs> I, know. I don't know Are what you're you seeing it now? Because <laughs> this is what I see every day. <laughs> you know, um, during that massive tsunami that was, I think, was it 2009? In Indonesia? was it, 10, 11? Um, in Japan. In, oh, okay. Um, the Fukushima one. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was in Tokyo at the time and I remember waking up in the middle of the night. Um, I, I was on the street when it happened, but the next day, you know, or, like with all the aftershocks and stuff, I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh God, like where are my glasses? You know, because everything's shaking and you couldn't see. And I mm. felt so helpless in that moment. Oh my goodness. Um, it was like, I mean, you know, of course it was nowhere near as bad in Tokyo, but yeah. just it was quite intense aftershocks. And like, you know, our hotel room ceiling was shaking and it was a good hotel, like pretty solid structure and still loads of shaking. And I just remember thinking then, I need to fix this problem someday. Yes. Yeah. Um, it took me about 10 okay. years to get there. That but was their 10 years, point. Yeah, yeah, 10 years later, I'm like, finally, I can do this. Yes. It's, yeah, it's an amazing, yeah. one of the best things I've ever done. Josh, you know what to do. Yeah. Have I convinced you yet? Yes. <laughs> He's very For convinced sure. now. <laughs> it's like soon enough. Yeah. Um, just maybe before we like wrap up, mm-hmm. I wanted to touch upon maybe your novel. Okay. If you could give us a couple of like... Yeah, I never, we never of, asked what your book oh, yeah, is about, actually. Sure. What it is about. I know, so yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, so with my book, okay, so my first book, the one that I had won the fellowship with, it's, I was, I used to call it a science fiction. I've realized it's a little bit more speculative fiction with science fiction elements. Um, it started as a, like a YA, a young adult, um, okay. and then it veered off into, it's so dark, maybe it is an adult, and then now it's back to YA, okay. because if The Hunger Games is classified as YA, then... Yes, this can't be. Nothing okay. is quite yeah. as dark as that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, I don't know, I should have memorized my logline, which is like your one line elevator pitch, but it's uh-huh. based, I haven't memorized it, I'm ashamed <laughs> to say. But um, it's about an orphaned teenager. When I say teenager, though, she's like 17, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that that tipping point between when you're not a child anymore, but you're not quite an adult yet. Right. Um, basically, her father 
had recently died. And so she was very recently orphaned because her mom had been dead since she was a baby. And he had been a crazy conspiracy theorist. And so she's living with a lot of shame around that because mm. in this world, there's no money as the currency. The currency is positive energy credits. Oh, wow. So it's almost like a world of toxic positivity because you're not allowed to say anything bad or anything like you said, okay. negative, okay. you get taxed for it. Um, and she's desperate to start a new life and she's never really belonged anywhere. Yeah. And then so she finds a way to get into the big city and gets invited to join this organization, um, which is supposed to help heal her. And when she gets there, she uncovers a lot of twists. I don't know if I want to say the ending, okay, okay, but um, okay. spoiler alert, like, you know, what okay. did her father really kill himself or was he murdered? Um, who did it and why? And so that's it. what the story is mostly about. Um, Where can we find your book? Um, well, if I sign an agent <laughs> this year, then maybe by 2025 or 2026, yes. it'll take a little while. Yeah. Um, so the journey of writing the book, obviously it's quite difficult doing it with a full-time job, you know, especially when I write for a living of and course. I edit for a living as well. So it's just like words everywhere. So I get up a couple of hours before work. I'll write from six till eight, start work at eight every weekend. Like, like I said, luckily my boyfriend's really patient about this. My friends are really understanding. Like my best friend, Kerry, she is a champion with saying like, you know, I'm not going to see you this weekend. You go work on your book because nice. she believes oh, in me. And I'm nice. so grateful for yeah. that. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of it is discipline. Like even when I'm tired, I'm not in the mood, but you have to go and do it. Yes. And you love it, but it can, you know, like we were saying about that balance. Um, so it takes a while to write the book. Once you finish, then you have to edit. Like you should never send your first draft. So I think I've rewritten yes. this thing about like, I don't even know how many times, like 30 something times. God knows. Um, and then you start pitching to agents. And then right. once you've signed an agent, which can take quite a long, long, long time yeah. as well, it's a pretty difficult process, then your agent will then work with you on further edits if they feel that it needs more, yes. most likely yes. And then they will sell it out um, or pitch it out to publishers. Uh -huh. Then once they've sold it to a publisher and you get a book deal, then your editor from the publishing company will have more edits for you, which you'll work on. And then comes like the cover and, you know, the marketing plan and the all that stuff. printing and all yeah. that. Yeah, so book releases, like it, it's a slow process. And I, wow. I firmly believe that you have to really want it to stay in it because yeah. it's not easy. And you have to have a thick skin because there are rejections are just part of the process, you yeah. know, and there'll be days where you look at it and you're like, okay, I really like this. I'm super proud of this. And the next, you know, week you look at it and you're like, what am I doing? This yeah, 20,000 yeah, yeah. words is pure garbage. I'm like wasting mm. my life. Like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. And, you it's know, a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. yeah. But so um, is, is it finished the book or almost? Yeah. Or? So I finished the first, well, when I call it first draft, it was like 17th draft, but like first official, you know, okay. draft yes. that, that I would allow anyone else to yes. see. <laughs> um, and that was finished in like, I think it was June last year. Um, okay. And as part of the fellowship, I had a mentor. And so he was very kind to have read it and given me some feedback. And then I went to New York with the Lit Foundation in October last year. And after that trip, I decided to rewrite the entire thing in the first person because oh, my character okay. is an introvert. And right. it, there were reasons for it to be in the third person when I started, which was there were scenes that she couldn't have known about. Yeah. Took those scenes out. So I wanted to get in more inside her head. So that's taken me a number of months as well. <laughs> Um, I can imagine so, yeah. rewriting a whole book from yeah, and because it changes a lot, you know, more yeah. than just like the the tenses and stuff. It's also you know, and it's also changing the perspective. And so now I'm kind of in what I'm hoping is my final set of edits yes. before I start querying to agents. Mm -hmm. So let's see. Um, and if the agents all come back with no's for the same reason, I will have to look at what that reason is and see if more edits will need to be made. Hopefully, yes. someone will love it. Fingers crossed. Yes. Um, but yeah, while I was 
waiting for some feedback on that first novel because you also need to take a break from it sometimes to get some perspective. Mm-hmm. That's when I started working on my second novel because it's kind of like going to the gym where if you, you know, and you know, I'm like super into training and, you know, sports and stuff. And so if you stop going to the gym, it's fine to take a little break, you know, for a couple yeah. weeks here and there. But if you stop for like four months, it is so much harder to get started into yes. that routine yes. than if you had just slowed it down. Correct. So just to keep that mojo going, I started writing my second one, nice. which is a fantasy. Um, so yeah, that one, um, again, like quite speculative fiction-y with a bit of a dark story, but it's set in a fictional version of Taiwan. Um, nice. And when I say fictional, it's because I don't want any of the politics involved. Like the history of the country is like, you yeah, know, yeah, who yeah. does it belong to the Aborigines? Is it about China? Like it's it's just about that it's a beautiful island, which is funnily enough, one of the names, old names for Mosa means. And it just takes place in this beautiful area. And so we meet this main character and she is drinking this potion and about to walk through this forest. And we're like, is she going to die? Because she's basically saying goodbye. Yeah. And then she comes out on the other. She's 30 years old. And when it opens, she's describing herself as this like hideously super old wrinkled. And you realize oh, she's only 30. And when she comes out on the other side of this forest walk, she's 16 years old. And all of her yeah. memories have been wiped from the past 14 years. And so <clears throat> she's part of this secret community of people that live in this mountain gorge. The geography is all messed up because I've put like this lake from one side of the country next to the gorge. Oh, okay, it's a completely okay, fic- okay, fictional okay, version okay. of it. Yeah. Um, and this group of people, they've been apparently like blessed or cursed, depending on how you look at it, by this mythology of a dragon many years ago. And basically they're semi-immortal. So every time they reach the age of 30, they're reborn at 16. Wow. Um, and so it's the gift of eternal life and eternal youth. But the price that they pay is that they lose their memories. So every time they're reborn, they're at the 16 again oh. um, without everything that they remembered. Wow. And the elders in this community, they remain the same age. They keep all of their knowledge um, and they're almost treated like gods because they have right. all the knowledge of history. Does it get wiped um, out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they are in control of this group and they're too innocent to realize because their memories keep getting wiped. And there is a whole world outside, like a modern city, you know, because it's very ancient. You know, as we see, they keep a lot of old customs. They have a bit of new technology here and there that the the elders bring back. They're the only ones who are allowed to go to the big city. Mm. And then you realize it's actually like in 1995 or 97 or something. And there's a whole modern world out there. But there, all the community are told you're not allowed to leave because, you know, the horrible modern people will study you like lab rats. And then our main character, she... They're not allowed, they're banned from leaving any written records for themselves. And so mm-hmm. she finds a series of old diaries that the previous versions of her had written and uh-huh. hidden and leave clues for herself every time. Wow. Oh. And so, yeah, and so when she finds them, she realizes there are great love stories and stories of adventures and she craves all of that. And so the previous her encourages her to go beyond. Um, nice. And then she uncovers a whole world of dark secrets that people have been hiding. I would love to read that book. When Me it too. So I love it. That was the one that won the, the best prize this year. Okay. Um, with that one, I, I'm not 100% finished with the manuscript yet, so I'm working on that. Um, and then I'll get some feedback as part of my prize win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the long process of editing for that begins. Wow. Well, thank you for letting us know. Like, who would have thought that such an elaborate process goes into Pleasure. publishing a book, listening. right? It's not just, I wrote my book, I want to print it out, and it yeah. goes out to... Yeah, then I'll put it on Amazon yeah. or whatever. And yeah. I mean, it out, self-publishing yeah. is definitely yeah. an option as yeah. well, you know, but there are pros and cons to each one. And I think originally, I don't want to say like, 
I didn't have the confidence to go for traditional publishing because mm-hmm. I didn't think I was good enough because it's such a difficult industry to get into. But saying that implies that I think that self-publishing is not as good, which is also not the case. It's just that there are so many people out there who self-publish without that like level of vetting. Now, on right. the one hand, it, it's that credibility. Yes. Um, yes. But at the same time, that approval, so to speak, that you get from traditional publishing it's also a very gate-kept industry. So it's all like shades imagine. of gray, you know. It's like you a know? cutthroat industry. So you just choose what's best for you and then try to... Exactly, yeah. And I think for it. me, it ultimately came down to the idea of I had this, as cheesy as it sounds, I always had a dream of being someone who could be traditionally published. So it's part of honoring that dream. Yeah. Um, and it's also because self-publishing, it's a lot of work, you know. I mean, you you can make more money from each sale because obviously, you know, you don't have to it's go yours. through. The middleman and yeah, everything. Yeah, exactly. So the percentage of money you can make from it. But you have to do all the work with the marketing and the branding. And it's if you're willing to, if you're good at that and you're willing to put in the time and the energy, be great. But yeah. I also have a full-time job. Yes. Um, you know, and I just want to keep writing more books. I would rather keep writing more books and do that. And I have this dream of doing that also, there are some self-published books that are going to obviously look this. You don't write a book with the goal of like movie deals in mind because the percentage, again, is tiny. And if mm. that's the reason why you're writing, then you should try and write a movie script, not a book instead. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. But at the same time, nowadays, yeah, it's pretty normal for a lot of authors. Like if you do have commercial viability with that, people need content nowadays. So that is great, you know, especially if you're writing a high concept novel, yes. which would lend itself well to that medium. And so there are a few breakthroughs, like, for example, The Martian, um, you know, it was a self-published book. Oh, wow. But yeah, it was a self-published book. And then, you know, go ahead and here's a movie with Matt Damon. But, you know, I think you have a better chance of standing out, like not saying standing out. It's also really difficult to stand out, but you have a better chance of navigating that when you have a literary agent or a publisher to help you get those deals. Someone Mm -hmm. who's done it before. Yeah. Who knows the roots and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because also there are a lot of, agencies and studios that won't consider it from a self-published person right but who knows i mean even on tiktok with book talk there are books that people will go wild over it's it's such an unpredictable industry because that's true. you never know what's going to make so people true. go wild yeah so true. um so i think if anything i've learned and heard loads of advice on which i firmly believe in if you try and write to something that's going to be a trend you will never it will never be what you want it to be whether mm. that's a success or reward because you're, you've got to write it for you. Yes. Write the story that you really want to tell Yes. and let the rest of the chips fall where they may because even if it doesn't succeed on paper the way you want it to, you wrote the story and you can be proud of that. Yes, mm. and it's your so, book. It's not so like you're yeah. writing it for any other agenda Yeah. other than writing your own book. Yeah. Which so, is amazing. You've done too. I mean... Thanks. Well, work in progress. Yes. It's going to be a lot of work for sure, but you've yeah. already started the work and you've already won awards for it. So Thank congratulations you. Yeah, so you're on the right path. So. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, you I'm can't wait for it to get out. Yeah. So planning to go on a, a writing retreat. Um, there are a couple of them around the world where you basically go to, go to a quiet place and then nice. you just spend like you know a few days or a week writing. Um, so I'm really excited to do a couple of those because I've heard they're pretty magical to get the flow state going. Okay. Yeah. I'll join you because yeah. I need to write more jokes. <laughs> right, <and> I, right. <laughs> Comedy. Nice. Any kind Skits. of writing. Yeah. yeah. If I find any good ones, I'll let you know. Yeah. Exactly. So cool. Well, thank you so much for being with thank us. You. That's that's amazing. Like we've yeah, thank you for really never heard of how the whole writing process goes. So it's thank very for educational for us as well. We can't wait to read your book somewhere you down guys. the line in the future. And we wish you all the best. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. So um, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you or like 
if they want to stalk you or if you have any your website or something like that yeah i mean i'm on instagram i don't there's no particular reason why it's private it's just um, (laughs) i mean you know i accept most requests as long as it doesn't look like a like a bot or something um my name is pretty hard to spell so it's y-i-h-w-a-h-a-n-n-a um i do still teach boxing classes at the moment but starting in april i'm going to be taking a sabbatical for Mm -hmm. several months to focus on the books but i'll be back there eventually yes um i've got a website it's just my name iwahana.com it's not that exciting (laughs) it's just about me and my career but i'm one of the things i'm hoping to add maybe by the end of this year when i get a little time is um because i record meditations sometimes i'm hoping to add a new section to my website with some soundscapes and share some of the resources that I listen to and okay. use while I'm writing. So Perfect. eventually it'll get there when I get the time. Yeah. yeah so it can also help other uh, aspiring writers. Yeah. yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So now what we're going to do is maybe in a year from now, we'll have you back on I'll and we'll see where your progress has been. Yeah. Okay, so it's well, like, hope. it's good to keep you like accountable, basically. <laughs> yes, yeah. right. No, I love that. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll nice. have some exciting things to say. <laughs> you will. You will. Yes. Well, thank you so much. We're going to put all thank of that in the description of this podcast yes. and the video. Thank you so much, Iwa, for yeah, being thank you here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank it's been wonderful. Our pleasure. And thank you, Max, for giving the good vibes. <laughs> yes. He's completely just, passed out on the couch. Exactly. He's, on, he's like, what? what's happening? Yeah, and now he's a little bit awake. <laughs> he's, he's, he's coming back to reality. Yes, Max, we're here. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Thank guys. you, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>